Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. The title of my message this evening, for those taking notes and want to get some Chick-fil-A in heaven, that's what happens. When you take notes, you get Chick-fil-A in heaven. It's good, it's good. For those taking notes, it's called The Greatest Love. The greatest love. Uh, But people everywhere are searching for love. We kind of know this. We all want to give love, and we all would like to receive love. Love was one of the most talked about topics by Jesus, and it's the first and foremost fruit of the Spirit. But love has become arguably the most misused word in today's culture. A Christian's definition of love will differ greatly from a non-Christian's definition of love. And this really wouldn't be a surprise to us all in these seats. You see, in fact, for most of the world, the word love has become a guise for people to avoid truth and embrace sin. It really has. I mean, we, we kind of know this. The, the homosexual LGBT movement uses the term love is love, or we need love, or where's the love? Show me the love. And that if we don't agree with what they say about, if I'm being honest, the, 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 the a sexual immorality and, and some abominations that are present, if we don't agree with that, then we can't possibly love them as Jesus commanded us. They try and put it back in our face. And a lot of woke pastors, sadly, refuse to share about the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that just as much as he's the grace-filled Savior, he's also the supreme Lord who tells us to obey every word he's commanded. You see, we as believers, we can never let the word love be watered down. We can never forget the power of love. But not a love of the world standard, but the love that God has revealed and shown to us. You see, the love of God would be the love that advances the kingdom of God. If Jesus were to come down and he were to look at us and say, God, what's my assignment? He would tell us, advance the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Will you advance it? You see, but if God is love and we're supposed to advance his kingdom, then his kingdom will be advanced by love. The greatest love in this world is the love of God. And this evening, we're going to kind of dive into what that looks like. So point number one, point number one, we are made by God and for God. Point number one, we are made by God and for God. And kind of the, the opening scripture that we'll get to at the very end, my favorite director, look caveat, is Christopher Nolan in movies because the ending always wraps up everything in a nice little bow. And that's just, that's just how I think. So I'm not saying I'm on his level, but we'll, we'll, we'll put this verse up and we'll say it at the end too. Colossians 1, 15 through 16 reads, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. See, we are made by God and for God. God made us so we can have relationship with him. That was why we were created. A a, a perfect God made us not because he was incomplete, because he loved us. He wanted us to be there. But 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love, right? We know this. God is love. So simple math would allow us to then say that if God is love, and if we're made by God and for God, then we're also made by love and for love. That's what we're here on this earth. Everything we do that comes into agreement with God comes into an agreement with love. So then when we come into an agreement with the real love, we'll move into the real authority with God. There's a reason why there are churches out there, there are movements out there that claim to have all this love, yet you're not seeing that much fruit. 
Because they're not plugged into the real love of God. You see, I found that the best things in this life that I can do are those that are most in agreement with God's plan. So it's honor that God's will is perfect. His word is eternal. So when we operate in love, it will leave an eternal mark. That's why the Bible will say that love's eternal. We all seek to leave a mark. When I was a youth pastor, uh, one of the most common things my youth students would, would say to me when I asked them what they wanted to do, like they come down on the altar, they're like 14, like, what's my purpose in life? And I'm like, bro, I have no idea. I've just met you. <laughs> I'm like, I wish, I wish, Flip, tell me what mine is. But they'd be like, I would always say, well, what do you want to do? And they'll say, I want to I make an impact. I want to leave a legacy. I, I want to make a mark, make history. But I would always tell them, you won't ever leave the mark you want if you operate out of fear of failure or hatred instead of love. You see, some of the most evil men we know of in, in the Bible and in real, the real world, you know, Satan, Pharaoh, Nero, Hitler, all of these evil people were operating out of fear and keeping people trapped in fear, right? And they had their moments, sure, we learn about them in the history books, but the biggest thing we remember about these evil people is when they lost. Can I get an amen this evening? Right? I'm sure all of us in history learned more about the Allies' heroism storming the beaches of Normandy. The book of Exodus talks much more about the plagues sent on freeing the Hebrews than it does really about Pharaoh's life. And we know much more about Jesus' triumph on the cross than we really do about the devil. You see, more is known about the love that takes out fear than the fear that tries to attack love. You see, human rebellion has its time in the sun, but we know how the story ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing the sovereignty of God. See, since these evil forces, they all come in toe-to-toe with the greatest source in the universe, the love of God. You see, now love doesn't mean that we're weak or soft. That's probably like the biggest like, misnomer that the modern-day church faces is that love means instead of turning the other cheek, it's that you turn a blind eye. That's, if I'm being honest, that's where a lot of them live. You see, love doesn't mean that we let people do whatever they want, whenever they want, because that causes ungodliness and unholiness, which is not what we're meant to be or meant to spread. How do I know this is literally, my father said this when I was a little kid. He said, son, who taught you how to lie? And I was like, I did. <laughs> I was like, not great at There's a story. I got time, I got time, well, let's do this. I literally was a really inquisitive kid. As a little kid, I just, like, was creative. At least I thought I was. I mean, who knows? We'll see when I get to heaven. But I was trying to create a new word that the world had never seen. And out of nowhere, I decided to start taking the first letter of the alphabet and replacing the word duck with each letter. So I started off with like, ayuck, buck, cuck, duck, and I went to that word, the forbidden word, as a five-year-old that I thought I invented. And I thought I was really cool. And I went to kindergarten the next day and I told my buddy, I just walked up and I was like, hey, and I said it. I said the word. And he immediately was like, <gasps> and he ran to my first grade teacher. And he said, I said the F word. She's like, you said that word? I was like, yeah, I invented it. And she's like, no, you didn't. And I was like, I did. What's wrong with it? Like, you're stifling my creativity. And literally, Australian school is just different. I got sent outside in the rain. I, had, I was like that kid. I was like in the rain, like looking in the window. All the kids are like at nap time, like eating. And I was out there for a crime I didn't commit. But it's crazy is nobody taught me how to do the wrong thing. That left unchecked, left unabated, I naturally had a tend toward unholiness and ungodliness. Because we all have a sin nature. You see, we're meant to spread the kingdom of God because we're made by God and for God. You see, Jude 1.23 says that we save others by snatching them out of the fire. 
to show to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I love that. I just when I read this, I was so blown away. Mercy mixed with fear, which is loving someone so much that we tell them there really is a place in this world called hell, but that God really loves you so much he did whatever he could to prevent you from going there. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, uh, that's, that's a thing that the church has kind of strayed away from is they love talking about that God would do anything to keep you from there, but they've kind of really eased the lines on how many people get to go into heaven. Wow. That's just kind of the, the sad part. You see, we need to speak the truth because it's this truth that sets people free from the powers of hell. It's not good deeds. It's not good intentions. It's not even tithing. I love tithing. But my tithe checks alone will not get me into heaven. One of my favorite sermons I've heard my mom preach recently, and I think she might have spoken it here, was the one where she talked about Jonah. Was any, did anybody hear that one? Oh, it was so good. I loved it. And my favorite point in my mom's little British witty humor was she was like, Jonah had one chance to go speak to the Ninevites. Imagine if he was woke. And I was in my car like, oh. <laughs> You're so right. Like, just imagine the scene. God said, 40 days, and I will destroy this whole place. Imagine if Jonah was like, yeah, I know what God's word said, but hear me out. I'm thinking a New Age translation is there are many ways to be saved. And honestly, God knows your guys' hearts. He understands the life you lived and where you came. You can just keep living in sin. You know what would have happened if that was the case? Dead. <laughs> Complete desolation. Literally, these people needed the truth they did not need the world's love. Those people were spared by the love of God who saw them repenting and then relented their destruction. But the world today doesn't really believe that. You see, I'm reminded of the quote of, of this incredible man named William Booth who started the Salvation Army. Um, he says, can we ever go too fast in saving souls? If anyone still wants a reply, if anybody's still guessing, let them ask the souls that are trapped in hell and they'll get their answer. The crazy part I would always tell my youth students is, and it's true for every facet, but I said, you only get to be in high school once. Uh, like a statistic that they say that I gravitate towards was after you graduate high school, you talk to only 3% of the people from your class. And I'd always say, then why do you care what the 97% think about you? We only get one chance in life. Would we ever be too reserved, too pulled back, too abated at telling people the greatest love in the world to save them from the worst place? Oh, yeah, come on, somebody, yeah. Something I heard that was really kind of shook my mind, it just challenged the way I thought was, how much would you hate someone to not tell them about the grace of God? To not really tell them the truth. And I mean, I was there, when I was in high school, there were some guys I didn't invite to church because I, I, I didn't want them to hear the message of Jesus, which is so horrible to say, I know. But I, that's how much I knew, I was like, you know what? <laughs> Someone else will witness to you. <laughs> but it's true. That, that quote's really saving. We get one chance. Could you imagine if Jonah was woke? It's such a powerful phrase that my mom just threw in there. She's, she's pretty funny. She's gotten funnier with age. When I was a little kid, mom was just mega lame. And now I'm like, mom, you're not mega lame. You're pretty cool. Mom, she's going to listen to this. Mom, I love you. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the issues we see in people, the dysfunctions that have spread in people and even spread in the church are due to this idea that love means we have to weaken ourselves and be overly soft and unconfrontational. But Jesus calls us to be meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek people are strong. They're strong people. But rather than using their strength to be a bully like the world and push others down, they use their strength to lead others up. 
My dad has built this church on one principle. He said, because I was willing to have awkward conversations. My dad, my dad still does it to me. Like he came the other week and sent me a text, son, I love seeing you, but I just think you gotta be nicer to your brother. I'm like, I'm a grown man. <laughs> like, I have my own house, I have a dog. <laughs> like, I think I'm past this, but my dad still to this day has those awkward conversations, but it pulls me up, it makes me a better man. You see, meek people oftentimes say, and this is what my dad is so true, you can punch me once, you can punch me twice, but don't ever think about attacking the ways of God or my family. You see, I'm tired of the church apologizing for standing for what is right. Uh, the pastor, the, the, the kind of, the token father of the church I pastor now, Pastor Tommy Barnett, he was influential in my dad's life. He's so funny, he's, he's awesome. But he says he refuses to learn apologetics because he's not apologizing for anything. <laughs> I was like, I love it. I love it so much. It's so true. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm not gonna apologize for what I believe in. That's why I'm so thankful for my mother and father and for this church, this house, who refuses to apologize to the gates of hell for saving people from it. It's, it's funny. We have a lot of pastors who when they talk about homosexuality, and I'm not sitting here saying you have to blast and be condescending, no, but when they stand the truth, they're highly apologetic. And I refuse to apologize to Satan because that guy has taken a lot from me in my life. I could have been in the Garden of Eden. It would have been awesome, and he ruined it. I refuse to apologize to the gates of hell. You see, Jesus was controversial. Jesus didn't come to amen the world, but to save the world. He didn't come to be like the world, he came to bring a word. We don't love by the world, we love by the word of God, and that's the Bible. You see, because the word of God, love, will always move people in the right direction. Love causes people to repent. Uh, my dad shared this plenty of times, but repentance is the Greek translation of the word metanoia, which literally means to change your mind. Uh, Reverend Billy Graham had a powerful quote where he says, repentance means that you change your mind. You change your mind, and then God will change your heart. We have a lot of people saying, man, the crime's up. Horrific accidents are up. Crimes against humanity are up. We need more, like, safe ways to have drugs. We need more sexual education. I'm like, no. That's a part of the problem. I said, what we need is a love that leads to a repentance, because once the mind is changed, then God has a conduit to come in and change the heart. We need a new heart in this place, and that comes by the greatest love of God, not by the love of the world. If we're loving how the world does, nothing gets better. We have more technology today than ever, more ways to eat, more ways to find pleasure than ever, uh, more ways to relax than ever, yet depression is up higher than ever. That tells me that the world standard is not enough. The world, the world has said all these statistics, let's try this, let's do this, these things will all work. No. We need a repentance that causes people to change their minds. See, how can people change their minds if we aren't showing them the love of God that leads to a change? Like I said, not in a condescending, I'm better than you way, but in a man, look at the fruit of this life type way. You see, 1 John 4.18 says that love is perfect in casting out fear. See, love is never motivated by fear, but by the removal of fear. When we operate out of fear, nothing good happens. You see, when we do things out of fear, uh, that doesn't last since its motives are not eternal, it's fear. Fear is not eternal, love is eternal. So when you're doing good out of fear, it never lasts. How do I know this? Well, I'm a man, I have a car, which means you know, I might drive a little fast on the freeway, from time to time, a little fast. But so it's like if you're driving on the freeway and you're going above the speed limit and you see a policeman, we all do the same like, ooh, 
my mistake, right? I'm gonna go, go 72, not too slow to be, in, I'm gonna probably be inconspicuous like I'm just a regular man. And then when that policeman goes away, we're like, finally, I can go back to normal speed limit, which is around 80 miles an hour or so. So literally, while the policeman was there, I was behaving. While the threat, while the fear of repercussion was there, I was acting good. But well, consequently, if I have my baby, if I got my precious thing beside me, my Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I said that once and Aubrey got offended, my wife. <laughs> when I have my precious thing beside me, you best believe I'm going safe. Ever over a speed bump, nice and slow. Don't wanna ruffle up the sauce, have any fries fall out. But it's true, when you're operating out of love, you will keep your good deed going regardless of circumstance. It's the same thing in the world. That is why I'm saying a lot of the, the New Age preaching that's, that toes to complete condescending and then toes to complete, you can do whatever you want, both aren't worthy. That's why Jesus says, be wary of the leaven of Herod and of the Pharisees. We cannot love out of fear. We have to love out of love because it won't last. That's why Jesus had the whole parable of the seed. It doesn't root. Fear's not a root. You see, breakthrough and victory is brought forth by love and not fear. I mean, just even for spouses and single people in here, when, when you avoid pornography out of the fear of what it will do or the fear of what our spouse will say, fear of our relationship with God, that only ever works for a little while. That's why the choice can't be rooted in the fear of consequence of doing wrong, but out of the love I seek to show my wife, but above all else to Jesus. And the reason why I say you do it for the Lord is because Jesus never lets us down. He never has a bad day. He never gets mad at us for forgetting their Chick-fil-A sauce, even though they said they didn't want any. That's just, not that that's happened. <laughs> that's kind of why we say this. It's rooted in the Lord because he's an eternal source. Your roots can go deep in him and you can really experience that love. You see, we are made by God and for God. We can't let fear be the motivating factor in our lives since fear is not of God. When we live in love, there's nothing impossible. So point number two, we can't live with the absence of love. We can't live with the absence of love. Uh, hate is the absence of love. Just as we know that darkness is the absence of light, where there's no light present, that's when darkness come in. Darkness cannot overpower light. Hate is the absence of love. Hate is what happens when someone doesn't have God in their lives since God is love. You see, but Psalm 139, 21 reads, do I not hate those who hate you? And this is one of the most powerful verses in the Holy Bible, yet it's one of the most commonly misused. And I've misused it myself many times. I'm not perfect in this because we are absolutely to hate those who hate God. We are absolutely to detest the things that cause us to be in separation from God. But who and what really are those things that hate God? Is it the person or is it the spirits that are attacking the person? You see, nearly every atheist I've ever met is an atheist, not because they don't believe in God, but because they're mad at God. They have a trauma, a wound, a bitterness they can't let go of, and that causes the separation. You see, there's something inside of these people that causes them to no longer see God as holy. And that's the, that's the handiwork, that's the calling card, that's the joker's little card that he leaves of the devil. Whenever you see something inside someone that causes them to degrade God's name and not see him as holy, that's how you know the devil is at work right there. You see, that's why one of the most profound pieces of scripture, in my opinion, is actually the prelude to Psalm 18. Before you get to Psalm 18, one, some Psalms, it says, this Psalm is sung to the tune of, oh, how great is my God. And you're like, sweet, <laughs> I'm gonna read it in English. <laughs> but Psalm 18's prelude is David wrote this Psalm as he was being hunted by his enemies, those who pursued him, and 
from King Saul. The King David never once saw Saul as his enemy because he knew the real King Saul, who was his father-in-law, who had him sit at his table, who loved him. David, is that you, my son? He knew that was the real King Saul, but he's seen that King Saul had allowed these spirits to torment him and drive him insane. But he knew that was the spirit inside Saul. He had that differentiation. You see, David never once called Saul his enemy. He never hated Saul, but he hated the spirits inside of him. You see, we're absolutely meant to hate those who hate God, but it's rarely the person, and most of the time it's the spirits that are playing this world. You see, we can't be fueled by hate. I'm reminded of the scripture in Revelations 2, 4 through 5, which is Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus. And he's like, hey, Ephesus, you guys are epic. You guys stand firm in the truth. You guys don't even tolerate those woke preachers. You guys are awesome. But we'll pick up in verse 4. He says, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, it's not enough to do good if we leave love out of it. You see, Jesus quite literally rebuked a church, rebuked a people group who were pursuing the right things, but they had the wrong reasons. You see, they grasped a hold of the truth so hard that they were using hate to get there. Dr. Cho says hate will be the biggest stoppage to seeing God flow in your life. And your faith life will always be inhibited by the hate in your life. We all wanna do big miracles. I can't be the only one who would love to like raise someone from the dead. That would be so sick. But we can't do that if we allow these things to come in our lives. You see, all truth and no love makes us hypercritical, right? All truth, we can see every little fault in your life. If we don't have love, will make you really hypercritical, pointing out where people fall short. No one wants to be around that overly critical, know-it-all person. No one. Now, only the unpleasant, but after a while, they become someone that gets ignored. You're just like, all right, you're always going to say that. We have to learn to speak the truth in love. You see, I love people. I love them, but I can't stand the spirit or deception in their life, and I love them so much that I'm willing to have the awkward conversation with them. You see, oftentimes, the people and the spirits can look the same, right? But that's the devil's main plan is to blur those lines so much, we inadvertently kill the person we're trying to save. I've had many conversations where, sadly, I had let Psalm 139, 21, I just had misinterpreted it, where I had pushed someone too hard, and I was fueled not really out of the love that Jesus had for them. And it caused them to have a wound that they didn't really need to have. You see, hate will sometimes have you kill the very person you're trying to save. You see, because Satan gets us to hate the Spirit so much we don't operate out of love but out of hatred. And it will spill over and prevent us from saving. Because hate only leads to more hate. If you want to make an impact in your marriage, your family, our community, our country, then we can't continue to live with the absence of love. We have to have the greatest love, which is the love of God. One thing my mother said, which impacted me greatly, was that we don't fight fire with fire, but a fire extinguisher. It's so, it's so common. It's, it's, well, duh. But when she said it, I was like, you're so right. How often do I seek to attack the kingdom of darkness by adding darkness to it? Satan's there like, boom, this is awesome. This guy's doing my job for me. You see, I absolutely hate those who hate God. And I detest the ways of rebellion from God's word. But I don't accomplish things out of hate. You see, the hate I seek to weed out of people's heart, it has to come from a place in love. A love, sign, a love that sometimes you have to be willing to allow yourself to go through pain, just as Jesus did. Right. Jesus is on the cross crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was in a lot of pain. 
But that was the greatest love he could ever give. I have a, I remember of a story where when I was in college, uh, first day of college, I bumped into one of my mates from middle school. Like we went to middle school together. We we're like best friends. He went to a different high school. Like I forgot he existed. We had that like college and we bumped into each other like, bro, dude, I haven't seen you in ages. Became like best friends right again. Said, you want to go do karate in the garage? He was like, yup. And it's like, <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. I hope, I hope you guys get that reference. <laughs> but it was great. We loved it. And we're hanging out like literally best friends, going to the beach all the time, having fun for like two years. And after that second year is when I met my wife, Aubrey. And I felt the Lord tell me this was the woman I was going to marry. And I was so excited. I was pursuing her and I would still hang out with my friend a lot. Like two times a week, I'd make sure I was with him because I really cared about him. But he got to that point where he realized how much attention Aubrey was getting. And he basically gave that ultimatum if it's her or me. And I said, mate, this is the girl I think I'm going to marry. You're not going to win. And he got really offended and just dropped me and became really mean. And he would send me text messages and I'd respond and be like, hey, it's good to hear from you. I'd answer what he said and respond. I can get a response back. Then two weeks would go by and he'd send again. I'd be like, ah, he must've just not seen my response. So I'd respond, no response. And he did that literally a total of seven times, I remember. And then the eighth text comes and I'm like, I'm not responding to this guy. He's a jerk. <laughs> like, he's so mean to me. And God said, you have to respond. And I said, why? He's, God, do you not hear me? I said, he's a jerk. He says, I don't care what he is. You have to respond and you have to ask him questions as if you wanted to hear what he said. And I was like, I don't see the point in this, which is what we all say in the moment. So I don't see the point in this, but all right. I didn't get a response back. In fact, he then did it again two weeks later. I sent it again, didn't get a response back. But then for two years, I heard nothing, nothing from him. I ended up getting married. And then one year into my marriage, I wake up to this giant brick of a text from this old friend who had said that he hadn't been able to sleep well since we'd stopped being friends because he'd had this bitterness in his life. And he says, I looked back and you always responding to me, even though I was a jerk, showed me that you really did love me. And he asked for forgiveness. And even though that love caused me pain, God was able to use that moment to be a linchpin to set him free from that wound. I've got to tell you, sometimes the greatest love in this world is going to have you feel a little bit of pain, just as it did Jesus. But that's the love that makes a difference. Can I get a quick amen on that? You see, had I acted out of hate and treated him the way he treated me, then nothing would have happened. The fire would have been bigger because I would have fought fire with fire. But I put it out by using love. You see, in point number three, the last point, if I could get the keys to come up, point number three, is we love because we are loved first. Point number three, we love because we're loved first. Psalm 92, uh, Psalm 90, verse two, uh, is where we get kind of the quote that God is from everlasting to everlasting. We know this, we sing it, everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. That's a famous song, I love that song. That's kind of where we get it from. God is eternal. God was before all things, and he'll be there after all things. Socrates himself, the father of logic, understood this idea, and he called that being an uncaused cause. He had no beginning, yet he gave everything else a beginning. That God is an uncaused cause. He gets the whole thing started. The sad part is that Socrates was a Greek, so he didn't attribute it to God, even though he was so close. But the question I have to kind of ask is if God is an uncaused cause, and God is the greatest source in the universe, then what does that mean about love? What is the greatest love we can ever give in this world? It's an uncaused love. A love that comes from nowhere. 
The greatest person in this whole world is the uncaused cause, and he's love. You see, when we show people love, we show love to people that comes without cause, then that is what always impacts them the most. It's more than just buying them a cookie when you're thinking about them. It's about learning to forgive that person who hurts you despite them not doing anything to deserve it. The thing that's impacted me so much is hearing my dad talk about his relationship with his dad. And he would tell me the stories and I'd be confused. How could he do that to you? He was your dad. My dad was so incredible. My dad was able to show me a love that he never received. But above all else, I'll never forget when my dad, has, he shared the story where he honored his father and loved his father despite my opa not doing anything to deserve it. And it's given birth to an incredible men's ministry emerge, but also to an incredible relationship today. If God was able to cause everything out of nothing, then what is your love that comes for no reason gonna cause in your life? The relationships, the job opportunities, the peaceful nights of sleep that you can have in the future that come when you are willing to do a love without cause. You see, are we willing to pray for the people that persecute us? Like I did with my friend. Be willing to do something good despite there being a little bit of pain. Are we able to open ourselves up and move for God even if we're afraid, even if God didn't answer our prayers how we thought he should earlier? You see, God moves best in the supernatural. And the most supernatural love, the most godly form of love is love that's done without a cause. But you can never give a love that you don't have. I can never give anything away that I don't have first. We can't move in love until the love of God is in us. You see, the greatest love in the world is the one that you receive. As I mentioned earlier in Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He was there with God. This is symbolic and poetic by Paul to mean that Jesus is just as much eternal as God. Scholars say that Jesus himself is from everlasting to everlasting, which is, which is awesome. I love that. But sometimes they don't really connect the dots with the fact that if Jesus is God, then what does he cause? If God is an uncaused cause and Jesus is God, well, then Jesus has to cause something. And I asked God this question one time and I was able to discover it in studies that Jesus was named Jesus while he was in heaven. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was everlasting to everlasting. Jesus was named Jesus in heaven. The name, literally, the name Jesus literally means God saves. While Jesus was in heaven before all creation, he was named God saves. But who is he saving? It was just him, him, and him, God, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who was Jesus saving while he was in heaven? It's us. Jesus' whole reason for him existing was because God set a piece of himself aside so that he could create and save us. We are Jesus' uncaused cause. And I've got to tell you, you will never be able to give what you don't have. I'm sure a lot of us in this place would say we know about Jesus. We've heard about Jesus and have invited Jesus, but you have you really ever understood the gravity that before we ever existed, Jesus already said, I'm gonna die for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The most powerful love in this whole world, the greatest love 
is the love that caused us to exist. The love that Jesus has for us. And you can't give that love until you receive that love. Until we understand that it didn't matter what we did. We weren't created because of our potential. We weren't created because of the good we do, because of the money we can give, because of the healings we can possess. We were made quite literally as the cause of Jesus' love. But until we understand that, we won't walk in the fullness of our creation. I've met a lot of Christians who sadly are overburdened by shame, guilt, fear, inferiority, that it limits what they can do because they've forgotten that before we even existed, Christ said, I'm going to not only be there for you, but do everything I can to make it right. Until we live in the uncaused cause, the uncaused love, we can't ever see the world advance in the kingdom of God. So could I have everybody in this place bow their heads and close their eyes? As I said before, this is a great church at discipling, training people. And if you're in this place and for the very first time or the first time in a long time, perhaps you just need to get your life right with God. But if you're in this place and you're saying, I need, I need to understand, I need to really connect, I need to pursue, I need to grow in the love that caused me to exist, then with every head bowed and every eye closed, a moment between you and God, you and the person who loved you in your sin, not before you did it, not after it was forgiven, but while you were doing it, if you say, I want to connect with that source and push myself forward for the first time or the first time in a long time, then on the count of three, with every head bowed, every eye closed, lift up your hands so I can pray for you, not to embarrass you, but to allow you to connect with God. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Lift up those hands in this place. Thank you. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you up the back, I see that hand. Is there anybody else in this house this evening? Anybody else in this house? Thank you up the back, I see that hand. Praise God. Praise God, you can leave those hands down. And if you're in this place and you've been so held back by fear, you say, God, I'm doing the right thing. But I realize just like the church of Ephesus, I've kind of lost sight of you in it all. I've been fueled by a hatred for what my father did for me and that's why I'm doing what I do. I'm filled by a hatred for how my boss treated me and that's why I'm doing what I do. I'm filled out of a hatred for what this person said when I was little and it's lived with me forever and you would like to be set free from that and walk forward in the love that caused us to exist. Then again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're saying, I want to walk in that new life of God and Pastor Ash, can you pray for me? Lift up your hand on the count of three so I can pray for you. Lift up your hand in this place. One, two, three, if that's you in this place. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is anybody else? Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else in this place? Praise God, praise God. Thank you, I see that hand. You can all put your hands down. If I could have everybody right now just repeat after me, repeat, repeat these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus on a mission that was started before I was made to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, tonight, I choose to love you. I choose to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a big shout of praise in this house. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. 
For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.